0: You so much. Well, I invite your attention this morning to Romans chapter 15. If you have your Bible, uh, whether that's on a tablet, whether that's on paper, that's written on your hand or your, your arm, whatever you got, Romans 15, that's page 949 of your Pew Bible. Uh, and uh, if you're visiting with us today is a uh, summation of a year study of the nine marks of a healthy church. And Uh, Church members, we are on the uh, slow track to finish the book of Mark. Next week, we'll go uh, through Mark chapter 10 next week, and then in December, we'll be in uh, some more holiday-themed things, if you will. Uh, But this week, the state of the church. I've never done one of these before. Uh, It's been a while since maybe you've heard one of these. It's not state of the union. I'm not a president. Don't desire that job at all, amen? I want to actually live past 55 years old. But uh, at some age and some stage, each church has to have this conversation. How are we doing? How should we be doing? And where is God taking us? That's what we'll be looking at this morning. Well, as we get started, though, I want to remind you of a great missionary named William Carey. Many of you have heard of William Carey before, one of the greatest missionaries, the father of modern missions. And he grew up of no great renown. He was a, uh, a working class family son. And he enthusiastically took up the faith, and, and though very little educated, taught himself Greek grammar. Wow, that's amazing. I can't even speak Greek or hardly read Greek 13 years since seminary. But, 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 but when he did this, he wanted to reach the nations. Carey said, I can plot along and I can persevere to any pursuit, but the one thing that scares me is sharing my faith. And I think for most of us that resounds very clearly because as Kerry was increasingly dismayed at how his fellow Protestants took this thing called missions and evangelism with very little lack of interest, he, he, he got a fire within him that God gave him so well that he wanted to go to the nations. And before Kerry and his family And their son would would go out to the nations. He gave a sermon in 1792. I think Jack was born in 1792, but the most of us were not around during that time. Hi, Jack. uh, You can punch me afterwards, but let it be. But in 1792, John William Carey, he said this. He said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And that was the rallying cry of the missions movement that sent missionaries to literally out in the bush wherever it was. So they go over to India, a British colony at the time. And they go, and and he takes his wife and a friend, John Thomas, and Carrie's family, which had three boys and another one on the way. And within the first year, he had lost a son. Within the first year, his wife had started to become clinically, as we would say now, insane. Literally, she was a harm to herself. And it was William Carey going from place to place to place to place because being a missionary was illegal in those days at that time, even under British rule. And he said this: these words, he said, I have God and his word is sure. I know he has called me here. Seven years later, after being spit upon, his kids are a hot mess, his wife is sick, He finally comes down to seeing the very first person come to know Jesus Christ. Seven years after they left England to go to India, the very first person gets converted. And you know what most people would have done after the first one month? I'm out of here, man. Are you kidding me? It's crazy. And after that, he translates, Carrie does, the, the, the gospel into the in ben, in Bengali, New Testament, and all these things. And by the time he died, he had spent 41 years in India without a break, which is crazy if you think about it. His mission could only count 700 converts out of the millions in India at the time. And most people would look at that and say, that wasn't very successful but that push became the greatest push ever for the missionary movement to go where we can support people all around the world. Expect great things for God and attempt great things for God. What was his point? His point was is, is, is if I demand more of this life than God's promises, I'm a fool. But if I expect less in this life than God's promises, I'm a fool as well. And friends, as we come to a new tradition today, I'm going to challenge us with that as a church. Because over the years that I've been here going on four years now, which is crazy to think about. It's hard to believe. Just in a few months, it'll be four years. We are seeing that God is moving our church in directions that even four years ago, I would have said, Are you crazy? Are you nuts, God? What are you up to? God, why are you, why this way? But to come to God and not to expect to receive good and great things from Him is to despise God, as John Owen the Dead Reformer said. And this is what Jeremiah 45.5 reminds us of. It says, and seek great things for yourself. Seek them not, for behold, I will bring evil on all flesh, says the Lord. As we come as a church and talk about what it means to be a church, I want you to know that we are not here to make great things about ourselves, are we? We're here to make great things about God. And over the past several years, uh, uh, churches like ours are, are really struggling. I mean, if we're honest about it, churches are struggling. Many churches have seen their memberships dwindle. More than a few are expected to close their doors. A friend of ours, Mark Clifton, will say about, a, uh, about 10 churches a week close their doors in our at Southern Baptist Convention. That's crazy. And we hear a lot about baptism numbers going down, even budgeting shortfalls. Even at TVBC, we've seen these very things. But God, at the same time, has encouraged this church Because he has raised up some amazing leaders in our church. Men and women who are working tirelessly in our churches and and around to push forward the mission. Like Carrie, when they look around and say, where's the fruit? God, we're being faithful to you, but where is the fruit, God? You said you would give us the nations. And there can be no doubt that a new generation of members alongside you who have been here for many years have been raised up within this church over the last several years to win people to Christ, to love our neighbors, and to take the gospel to places we have never even seen this neighborhood reached at. Praise God for that. Amen? And there's no doubt that God has put us here for this reason. Guys, God is not done with Tower View Baptist Church. God won't be done with Tower View Baptist Church until he's ready to close that door. You look at William Carey's life, that great missionary, and you say, wow, why, his wife was crazy, all these things. Why didn't he just get out? Because he knew God had called him. And when God calls someone, he puts things in their path to see and let them know that they have to be reminded he is in control. So this is not a time to nurse our wounds, or bemoan the worsening state of our society. It's a time to ask some tough questions, church, and we need to ask those questions. But it's also a time to go forward, doing what God has us to do in our strengths and in our weaknesses today as a church. So what does it mean for us as a church to be a gospel-centered church in the the area we live and going forward as we do? We'll get there, but I want to remind you today the big idea, stealing from Carrie's own words, that the church is... best days are ahead we can expect great things of God and we will attempt great things for God but Darren the budget's not there but Darren attendance has gone down but Darren all these things do we trust God or do we trust our numbers folks that's really what it comes down to we have questions and conversations to have absolutely but if God can change the world through one faithful man taking the gospel to an area that knew no gospel he can use people like us I truly believe the best days of Tower View are ahead, not because I'm leading, not because Nelson's leading, not because any of those things are the people we have in place, because God is faithful. And if God wanted this church closed, he would have closed the door 17 years ago when we were down to 20, 30 people. But he didn't. You are here because of the fruit of labor that God has put us through. And this isn't a rah-rah, you know, if you were doing the State of the Union, like half the people would be doing this. The other half would be doing this. That's not what we're doing today. This is not a raw, raw motivational thing. But it is a firm conviction that the mighty movements of God among his people are intended to result in mighty movements to the ends of the earth. And God sent us here. He's put us here. And there are thousands of unreached people in our neighborhood that have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for the last four years, I prayed three things, that God would lead us in a reawakening to the gospel that it's not just I got my Jesus flu shot, but it, it really impacts every area of our lives, that he would raise up the right leaders, and that we would lead in a new era of sacrifice, faith, and efficiency for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And praise God, you all have responded to that and continue to do that. So this sermon is going to look a little bit different than usual. We're going to look at six features of a church hijacked, I use that word intentionally, hijacked by trusting God as we allow the gospel to go forth. We're going to be look at six things and then we're going to apply that to our church in some areas of challenge. I want to challenge our church with an application as we go. And yes, we will get done in 42 minutes. Don't worry. We will be right on time. Amen. But that is what we will do. But there is something crazy. If you really think about it, there is something crazy that happens when the gospel takes over a church. Church is gets waylaid from its normal religious routine and its normal rhythms. And the finished work of Christ becomes the transfixing, transfixing idea of the church. Not what programs we have, not what budget could be, not just get this person there, but the gospel becomes the main thing. And church, if we are going to go forward, we have to pray. The gospel stays the main thing at our church. Amen? There's a dire need in the world, actually, is that the church be gospelized that churches have found in the person and work of Christ a power sourced in heaven that really does change people and really does change the world. It's a doctrine that creates a culture of grace. And what does this look like? We're going to get there, but Paul's going to write this letter to us, and he's writing to a mixed group of people. Some were Jews, some were Gentiles. They really didn't get along except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's told them the highest theology ever, And I want to let you know that uh, one pastor, it took him 41 years to preach through the book of Romans. So if you're like 20, we might start that journey in 2020 and see how far we get, right? But you're going to get seven verses today. Some of y'all aren't sure about that idea, but we'll let that sink in. But one thing Paul's going to argue with them is that when the gospel takes over a church, that the church is going to be different, different in how they've operated different in how they treat each other, different in what they trust in, different in how unified they are, different in what they live for, and different in what they worship and why they worship. And that is going to be the earmark of the church, and I pray it's true for us as well. Longer intro than usual, but will you join me if you're able this morning in standing? It's a good exercise, gets you at least two steps on your pedometer, but more importantly, it's God's word as we come together this morning. I want you to hear Romans 15, 1 through 7, and six features of a church hijacked by the gospel of Jesus Christ and what that looks like for the church in Rome and how that applies to us today as we go forward as Tower View Baptist Church this year and beyond. Hear the word of the Lord. Verse 1, we, Paul writing, who are strong, have an obligation to bear the feelings of the weak and not please ourselves. Let each of us please neighbor for his good to build him up. For verse 3, Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the reproaches of those who have reproached you fell upon me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with One voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Will you join me as we pray and we uh, get into these features this morning? Let's bow our heads together. Father, as we come on a different Sunday, uh, Father, a cold Sunday, to be honest, from a human standpoint, but we rejoice this is the day you've made, the Lord's day you've given us. and Father, we thank you that nothing can change your word. We thank you for the church and the fruit you've grown here. Father, we thank you for the people you've called. Her. We thank you that, that so much is going on here. But, Lord, as we continue to press forward to reach this neighborhood, to reach the people in our neighborhoods, in our lives, that, Lord, that, that you would use these words today to bind us together under the gospel of Christ, the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, the repentance and believing that gospel, Lord, the one of first importance that Paul talked about, together for us. It's not, uh, Father, it's not the best marketing tool. It's going to, it's really unpopular. It's not very canny in those situations. But, Father, it is what you've given us, the foolishness of the gospel to change the world and to change our churches, change our families, change our children, our spouses, our grandchildren, everywhere we trod, Father, that is all you call us to do is to take the gospel. Father, we pray this binds us together. We ask this today in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you. So six features of a church hijacked by the gospel. Now, uh, if you're into, I I tried to work this in, but D.B. Cooper, some of y'all remember that back in the 70s, a guy who who robbed the plane and jumped out and stole money, and who's D.B. Cooper? You can look into all that stuff. That's not the type of hijacking we're talking about today. The type of hijacking we're talking about as we talk about our church is one the Bible tells us to be hijacked by. And the first feature that we're going to see this morning of a church that is focused on the gospel in every way, shape, and form is we are going to resolve to love our neighbors as they are. I mean, think about this. Most people go to church because they want something out of that church, the fog machine, the pastor's shoes, the coffee the donuts, Irene, I'm just giving you a job description here, wherever you are, Irene Johnston. But these are things people come. But in a church that is focused on the gospel, it's not about our preferences or a consumer mindset. Or this church has five-star rating on Facebook, but this church only has 4.7. Therefore, I'm gonna go to the five-star church because the 4.7 one's really not a church. It's not what we're talking about. What if we approached our church seeking instead of coming about it for us to be in it for what is of the good of other people within our church? What if we came to church membership, not for what the church can provide for us, a Christmas dinner, the ability to serve in a ministry, but what if we came to it for its obligations? What if we came and said, I'm not a church member because I want to hold an office, but I'm a church member because I want to serve you, another member in this church. That's what Paul says here in verse 1. Notice what he says. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Paul didn't call these Christians to join a club, but to join a mission. And and pleasing our neighbor for his good is to build him up. And we have to ask the question, as we go forward as a church, how sacred is your comfort in this church? Is your comfort so sacred that if God is calling us one way that you say, no, I won't do that because we've never done that before. I don't agree with that. that, that, that is that pleasing your neighbor? Is that pleasing your comfort? And I point all ten digits and toes that you can't see back to myself as I say that very thing. If I'm not prepared to jeopardize a friendship to tell others about Christ or to love others in Christ in this church, I won't give up my life. If I'm not prepared to give out a promotion, to give up a promotion, I won't give up my life. If I'm not willing to pursue people who are different than me, to be a blessing to them, especially within the church, I'm not ready to give up my life as Christ called me to give it up. If I don't give up a vacation, apparently, sometimes to support someone in ministry or or a ministry, I may not ever give up my life for Christ. How do you get to a place of security And to make loving your neighbor, especially within the church, a joyful burden, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how you do it. We get so satisfied in Christ that we despair ourselves. You give up things, and that's not a problem. You say, I can do without this little thing. And that's why Jesus says that we're not simply to coexist. His standard is higher. It's more active. It's demanding. He said, go and love your neighbor. But in most churches, that's hard to see, isn't it? Because our neighbor has become something other than what Christ intended it to be. In fact, it could be one of two things. We could see ourselves as consumers. We use our comfort as a reason not to love other people. Well, I don't like this group of people because they hold that view, and they voted this way at the business meeting. Therefore, I'm not going to love them. Or that person doesn't give as much as this person. Therefore, I I can't see them being honorable in this church. Or another type of way that we respond to loving neighbors is not necessarily what the Bible has, is we become cultural warriors. We're out there fighting for everything, and we're so focused on the culture that we don't really care what happens in the church. As long as they pass that bill in Congress, our life is good. But consumers or combatants aren't loving our neighbors. You can't love them and use them at the same time, can you? When Christ saw the crowd, he had a, a guttural reaction of compassion for them. So to really love our neighbors is to take up the obligations of other people in this church to do that. I mean, can you imagine what would happen in our church if we loved each other that way? Or what would happen in our cities if we loved others like we love our own bodies? This happens when we drink so deeply of the gospel that says that those who are strong should bear the feelings of the weak. The second thing that comes with the church that is hijacked by the gospel is we look foolish. Aren't you glad you signed up for that today? Amen? You look foolish. How so? You look foolish because it would seem that, depending on your context, preaching the gospel is out of season. You ever think about that? That we are on the wrong side of history. How dare you preach the gospel? That's so old school, that's so weird. What do you think's going to come? You're going to have the best videos, the best lights, and the best PR. But a church that's not infatuated with what Christ has done in the gospel will begin to sand off the rough edges of truth. And a church that is asleep to the gospel is allergic to embarrassment. We are afraid of looking stupid or foolish. We don't want to end up on Fox or CBS tonight on the 5 o'clock news did you hear what that church did? They said Jesus is the only way. Look, you can go on any TV station today and say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and your best life is now, and they're going to say, Woo! But you go to them and say, Repent and believe the gospel. Christ Jesus is Lord of all. Repent and believe. They're going to call you, they're calling the Looney Bin truck. But we like a hip and cool Jesus, but we don't want to identify with the Jesus who took all the hatred of the universe and proclaimed and said, let that hatred fall on me. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18. So when Jesus came, it wasn't peace, love, and good vibes. So long, 60s. The Old Testament scripture said, this was about me. I mean, look at verse 2. This is what he tells us here. Look at verse 2. He says, for, for let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell upon me. And a church that is focused on the gospel will always have that thought. What is this going to cost us? And are we ready for that cost? Church, I can tell you because we get the emails and we get the social media that there are people, when they hear these sermons, will just blast everything that we say. Because the gospel is either going to win you to Christ, or it's going to get you far away from Christ. And as a church, praise God that we are willing to stand and be foolish for Jesus if that's what it means for this Christianity. We ought to say, not with pride, good riddance to cultural Christianity, good riddance to anything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, and you remember John the Baptist? You remember that story back in February when he looked at King Herod and he said, you don't, any, you don't have any reason to take that lady as your wife. You remember what happened to him? It cost him something, didn't it? It literally cost him his head. How far was John willing to go as, as things got hot? He wasn't willing to back down even to death. And God chooses foolish messengers, as you'll see on the screen, weak nobodies, to use a foolish method sharing the gospel to make known a foolish message christ crucified and as a church we have to be ready to embrace that identity at any cost even if the offering goes down even if the membership goes down even if people don't get saved because they're so offended by the simple loving message that jesus died for them are we willing to count the cost that's what we see Jesus was so aligned in Romans 15, 3 with God that he took our animosity towards himself. He didn't care what people said about him. He knew in love that he needed to have a foolish death on a cross that we might have life. Thirdly, we we must trust the Bible's sufficiency. A church has been hijacked by the gospel. We love our neighbors. We, We look foolish, but I want you to notice verse 4 that he tells us that those things written in the past, whatever was written in the former days, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. There are a million different messages in the world today, and at least a coming, uh, several coming from the church. But let me tell you this, the gospel does not need our help. Guys, this word of God is everything we need to live out everything we have in this church. Is there a church conflict? Here it is. Are we having trouble reaching the nations? What does Jesus say to do about it in here? Are we having trouble in relationships? We go to the scriptures. Are we having trouble with what the church says and how we should organize it? Go back to the scriptures. The power is here. If the word of God alone that gives life and changes people, the gospel doesn't need our help. We don't need to send in a little Trojan horse and bait and switch people. Well, just come on over. We're not going to tell you about Jesus. Let's get you in the doors. And then maybe when we're ready, we'll tell you. We don't need to do that. We have the gospel. It's for everyone. And it's open to all who believe on him. Come on in. Drink deep of the well. It will never be unsatisfied. I mean, but imagine for a second that God, like the God, you know, that God, wrote a book. And if God wrote a book, why wouldn't we want to read it and see what it says, right? Nelson, I didn't talk to you about this. Nelson's Nelson's left the building like Elvis, but he's around here somewhere. But if you were in Sunday school, he wrote this. But, but God wrote a book, and we're like, nah, no big deal. God wrote a book. What else do you got? God wrote a book. You don't need to go to the bookstore to find what God has told you. Get in his word. And as a church, as we go forward, we don't need the latest and greatest strategy. We need to get back to the word. And as we do, those things written in the past are going to give us hope. We're going to look at situations in the Old Testament where the numbers were stacked against them. And God said, just trust me. And they did. And the armies fell dead before their eyes. Do we believe the gospel has that much power? Do we make the word of God serve what we say? Or do we want it what it says? How do I serve the word of God? Look, you don't have to hide. You don't have to apologize. You don't have to hold off. You don't have to be creative with the Bible, it's living and active. It's sufficient. It can hold whatever weight we got. Church, and let me tell you, our church has a lot of weight to put under that Bible. We have situations. We have ministries. We have needs. We have lots of things. But can we trust the Word of God to be the Word of God? Yes, we can. Amen. There are some pastors out there today, the biggest phrase is for us to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament that people don't understand it, therefore we shouldn't talk about it. Friends, I don't know about you. I find a lot of great comfort in the Old Testament because it teaches us about what was to come and what's been fulfilled, especially in Jesus Christ. Mark number four, a a church that's been hijacked by the gospel. They love their neighbors internally, externally. Man, they look foolish, not just wearing an Oakland Raiders shirt on a Chief Sunday sort of thing, but, but before the gospel. They loyally trust that the Bible is sufficient. And number four, they live in harmony. Look back at verse five. I want you to see this. Paul writes to them and says, may the God of endurance, notice that word is used twice here in verse 4, endurance through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, but may the God of endurance and encouragement, that same phrase, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. Something happens when grace hijacks a church. There's a sweetness that comes. People aren't captivated by the message or or turned on by it, but they feel the gospel in the marrow of their bones. It's like oxygen to them. And they are experiencing doctrine, what, what the Bible has been teaching them, but they're living it out. And when people come to our churches with no church background or even a painful one, maybe you're here today and that's who you are. Maybe you're on guard today because you've been to churches before, and you've been hurt by churches before. And, and, and you're like, whoa, even stepping in here again makes you feel like you've just run a marathon. You just feel weird. What is this place about? I mean, you had every excuse not to be here, and it's weird that you are, to be honest. We're glad you're here. But let's be honest, it's a little weird to sit in church on a Sunday morning on a cold Sunday before Thanksgiving. You could be doing lots of things, like sleeping under the covers. And some people come in, and teacher, teeth are clenched, and they say, what wh- What do they say here? What are, what are these people about? And they're talking much more in their music and their sermon, but but they want to know the question, am I gonna be okay here? Am I really gonna be okay here? And a message of grace will attract people, but a culture of grace will keep people. Did you catch that? A message of grace will attract people. Look, there are some of the biggest churches in America or the most ungodly churches in America. Did you hear that clearly? Not all megachurches are bad. But some of the most, some of the, Lauren, I thought of you, Lauren, Lauren Leeds and I smile at this every single time. There are certain preachers that draw certain people in and they bring them in. They smile as wide as Texas, Houston being specific. And they get you in the door. But there's nothing taught there except gobbledygook that comes out of Dr. Phil's back pocket. And they love it. But people want to know that the things we preach aren't puffed up, but it's in our bloodstream. It's not just here on Sunday. And when the gospel takes over a church, it becomes a very unsafe place for sin, but a very safe place for sinners. That's the kind of culture we want here at Tower View Baptist Church, the kind of culture where people have freedom to hold opposing viewpoints without distrust or anger. Can you believe the pastor eats pizza on Sunday? He's breaking the Lord's day. Did you hear what that person said of the business being? Oh, my goodness. Stop it. Stop it. This church comes together the best when we realize that we have the best message ever, and it should be in our bones, folks. I have made mistakes in this church. You have made mistakes in this church. I will make mistakes. You will make mistakes. We will make mistakes. But if we are unwilling to come together harmoniously under the gospel of Christ, then we are not living the very message we say, church. And I don't want those just to be preaching words. I mean those words. If I have hurt you, you come talk to me. If you've hurt me, I come talk to you. We don't do this, oh, oh, he's coming. Quick, run away. Shh, shh. Oh. Quick, hi, he's coming. Don't do that. Because a gospel culture, we do not grow in holiness and greater than thouness. That's what we don't believe. If you're growing in Jesus Christ and you have a beef with someone else in this church, you better get to them and talk with them about it. Quickly, sufficiently, detailedly, confessionally, and you deal with it. Because the greatest thing that sinks a gospel-centered church is when people don't live in harmony with one another. I can't speak for things that happened 50 years ago. I can speak for things now, and I've made plenty of mistakes and will continue to disappoint you to the nth degree. Thank you for your grace. You will continue to make mistakes and disappoint me. We will thank each other for God's grace. Amen. But a church has been hijacked by the gospel, you walk in there and you know they're real. Stop the bickering, stop the gossiping, stop talking about each other. We do this together or we don't do it at all. Do you hear me? And I'm talking about myself most of all. We love each other because Christ loved us. That's the difference of a gospel-centered church and a regular Joe church where they eat each other alive as soon as they walk out into the parking lot. will not be tolerated whatsoever. If we can just get the pastor out of the church, or if this pastor just did this, or just maybe that's all true. But God has called you here right now, and I thank God for each one of you because you each have a mission and a place in this mission. Amen. That's what we know. Number five. I got to hurry. I didn't. That, running in the door was not in the notes, so I'll let that be. <laughs> Number five. We long for God's glory. That is what the church should be about. It's not about being, and I love these, I love all these things. It's not about being in the top ten of baptisms. If God brings that, that's great. It's not about getting a placard from the association saying, hey, you gave the most money to us. May we give money to all those great things. We are here for one purpose, and that's what verse 6 says. Look back at your Bibles. That together, what's the purpose of all this coming together? That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. You are here to glorify God. You are here to do that. And you do that by seeing the mission as crucial. That that you're here not just as a consumer, but you're here as someone who's going to be worshiping God by giving all that you have to the mission. And this begins when we, like Isaiah, see ourselves in Isaiah 6 as those who become undone. That mission is an outflow of our lives. That God's plan is not for our ease, But it's for his glory, as you will see on the screen. That's what it's about. It is about what God has called us here to do. And guys, I will tell you that we are going to go through hard times to get to where we need to go. We will. You have gone through hard times to get where you need to go. If you could just go out and go uh, do an Ironman triathlon just by getting out there, it wouldn't be much success, would it? But you have to train for these things. You have to be ready. And let me tell you that what he is telling them, that the one purpose of the church is with one voice to go forward as a church. Not with this Sunday school class here doing their thing and this class doing this, but with one voice glorifying God. And not just singing, although I thought about singing this week. I knew you would be thinking about this. It's not just singing, but we together are all about the gospel of Jesus Christ that we ask the question more, what would this do to impact more people about the gospel than to say, have we ever done it before? Or if we have done it before, why are we doing it now? Is the Easter event in 2018, 2019 going to happen? I don't know, but what, what if it didn't? Would that break some of your alls hearts? It would. What if we tried something different? Well, Pastor, I'm ready to resign my membership right now. Be very careful. What if we, what if we went out? and did something different. What if we did the same thing? It doesn't matter if we do the same thing or we don't do the same thing. The one message is clear. It's not for our gain. It's for God's glory above all things. That's what it's about. May our church never become a church that is more important about getting in the state Baptist newspaper because we did this, that, or the other than just simply seeing people come to Jesus and grow in Jesus. That's the most radical thing we can do as a church, let me tell you. And Paul tells them it's with one voice that you glorify God. That's why we pray for other churches. That's why we take time to, to, to hear updates about Doug and other people around the world who've served because it's about one voice coming together to do that. Last thing, we'll apply and we'll be done. When the gospel hijacks a church, we lavish in the gospel. We love our neighbors. It's a foolish message. We trust the Bible's sufficiency. We live in harmony We we long for God's glory, but look at verse 7 quickly, verse 7, Romans 15. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. I want you to read that again. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God. How did Christ welcome you, Christian? Think about it for a second. I, I like to picture that Jesus is there hanging out with his, his posse, his boys, you know, the disciples is what we call them formally. And something in me knows if I were to walk in that room, he'd be like, that guy, huh. wow, huh. you really showed up, wow. Huh. But that isn't what Jesus does. When you know the biblical Jesus, you know that God has for me in Christ approval that is, that, that is beyond this world. That's not how Jesus welcomes me. When I walk into that room, Jesus looks at me and says, this guy, you made it. Thank you for coming. So glad you're here. Come on in. And when a church is so focused on the gospel, that's how we welcome other people. But you don't know what this person did to me, Pastor. You don't know what you did to me, Pastor. You don't know what... Blah, 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 blah. Stop it. Focus on the gospel. Come together. That is what it's about. How should we welcome one another? The same way you were welcomed into eternity by Christ, all together. This is how we ought to. Treat the gospel as first importance and we will outdo one another in honor. If God is not involved, we will not have this kind of unity. The power of the mission comes from God himself working through the gospel itself. He has formed our church by the gospel. It will go forward by the gospel. It unites by the gospel and all those things. And as number six will tell us, there is no heart too cold. There is no soul too cold. There's no situation so bleak, no spirit too imprisoned, no life too dead for the power of the gospel to work through it. If you have been hurt by this church, if you've been hurt by someone in this church, the gospel is enough for it. If we are truly lavishing in the gospel. If there is someone in our neighborhood who we think cannot be reached with the gospel, then we have not trusted in the power of the gospel. We've trusted in our ability to persuade or not persuade. The gospel is power. We don't need 10 steps to the greatest church ever. We need to trust that God has given us all that we need in his spirit and in his gospel. Amen? So where does this leave us as we close? This leaves us with a very clear reminder about what we have been doing over this last year. We've gone through nine marks of a healthy church. You've been visiting. We've, we've been preaching through these once a month or so. We kind of got off track in August. Uh, Gilbert got us off track. He had to go to seminary somewhere, you know, all those things. I kid him all the time about it. But at least once a month, we preach through these nine marks of a church. And I would have you close your eyes and write them down and test your knowledge, but they're up on the screen for you to cheat, all right? Uh, Tina knows them all by heart. She tells me if I forget them. So here they are. As a church, how do we apply these things, these hijackings of the gospel? Well, we've looked at what it means to preach, what it means to teach sound doctrine. We've talked about the gospel being a mark of a healthy church. We've talked about church elders and pastors leading the church, about evangelism. Jeff preached on discipling and and Brother Derek on church discipline, John on church membership and so on and so forth. I'd like to give you just very quickly, and I promise it will be quick, how I'd like to see these apply we, as we take Romans 15 and those six markers of hijacking a church and apply these nine marks of a healthy church going forward. This is where the rubber meets the road. Nelson has seen this already. He's corrected my mistakes. And so if I have mistakes, you can blame Nelson because he didn't find them. So here we go. How do we apply all this as a church? First, with preaching, I want to remind you that the best type of preaching is the preaching we try and do every Sunday. It's straight from the Bible not my ideas, it's not your ideas, it's not from a magazine, as Nelson's pastor of many years gone by used to preach from, it's from the Bible. And let me tell you that God has sent us many, many men who could preach the Word of God so boldly. But we also all may not see the value of preaching, but it is the power of God unto salvation. I'd like us as a church, as we continue to gather men together to explore a formal training situation here, where we can raise up people and send them out. Remember, we don't judge our church based on seating capacity, butts in the seat. We judge our church upon sending capacity, how many we can get out there on the field to see people transformed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we want to do, and I want to explore a formal thing in our church, not paid, of course, but something to train up men, who want to seek out the ministry. Secondly, how do we apply sound theology to our church? Let me remind you that sound theology, doctrine, doctrine, Is our thoughts about God, it it relates to everything? And did you know that a LifeWay study in 2017 found that what people believe really matters? That joke just went right over your head. And churches, they said, that adhere to teaching the Bible are more likely to grow than those who don't. Wouldn't you believe that? We don't need to water this down. The strength is God has deepened us with what we believe and why we believe. But let me say, in, as with every church, there, there are people on different levels, and we need to to, to emphasize basic theology in our teaching and our preaching, our classes, and refresh ourselves in the basics of the faith. Because what you believe really does matter. If you believe that Jesus is a created guy, when you die, there's no one to trust in because he's just created like you were. But if you believe Jesus is creator, when you die, praise the Lord to be absent from the body. To be present with the Lord. It really does matter what we believe. Thirdly, how do we apply the gospel? I'm going to really challenge you on this one, guys. I love you all so much. We've shared the gospel almost 300 times since uh, Brother May 1st, Derek, I think, May 1st. It's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. and that, That board out there. But I would love to see a training next year where you can share the gospel fully from sinner to to repentance to who Christ is in 60 seconds. Can you do it? Y'all don't seem too excited about that. Can you do it? I think you can. I want you to be able to share the gospel that if someone, and this is extreme, but if someone's on the floor bleeding out and they need the gospel, that you can look at them and say, "This this is the gospel. Do you believe it? Because every minister and every volunteer asking that question, how does this impact the gospel ministry at Tower View? That's what we need to apply. And we need to guard the gospel, too. The gospel's not you do half, Jesus did half, Jesus did it all or did nothing. Number four, how do we apply conversion? That is, that only God can save and only those who believe in Him are saved. I stated this in one of the points, but I, I, we want to grow and pray and expect the church is drenched in the gospel that people coming here have nothing to fear. Well, Darren, that sounds very seeker-sensitive, doesn't it? I mean, just come as you are. What do you wear to church? Wear whatever you want. Hopefully you wear something, you know, that sort of thing. Yes. But we want to get to a place where the gospel is so drenched here that if people walk in, do they still even have mohawks, frohawks, whatever around these days? That if they walk in and they're a different color, they're a different ethnicity, they're a different socioeconomic background, whatever, they are welcome here. And I thank you, church, for exemplifying that so well. But we don't want minefields here. Well, well, don't do this or don't do that. We want a safety gospel here. Gospel plus safety plus time equals a gospel culture that applies this conversion because we see people growing their fruit. Number five, evangelism. This is very straightforward, but uh, we're working on a system right now to train better and follow up. And I want to thank you all for so much for sharing the gospel so much to this neighborhood. Some of you do it weekly through doors. Some of you are in your homes, your businesses. Thank you for sharing. But we want to develop a comprehensive program to train you to be able to share it. it is not just my job to share. It's your job too. Can you imagine if every person in this church took seriously to share the gospel once a week, what that would do? What kind of impact would that have on our church? Number six, and i got to hurry, church membership. This is a big one. This affects a lot of people. Being a member is not just something that you get to do because that's what you've always done. Taking church membership seriously has its obligations, as we've talked about even this morning, and benefits. But according to the Bible, church membership is a commitment every Christian should make to attend, love, serve, and submit to the local church. In January, we want to have a time, we haven't set the date, probably the third or fourth Sunday, where we have a time of rededication to membership, whether it's been since 1962 when you joined or if it's been 2018. We want to bring the church covenant out and get that out to you, and we want to sign it at the end of a service sometime to rededicate ourselves. What if someone's sick and they can't come? We're not kicking them out. That's not what I'm saying, but we want to redo this, and we pray that the peer pressure gets to you to see that. If you're not in a small group and you're a member, why are you not in a small group if you're a member? Can I just put that plug? Why are you not growing together? If, you, if you're doing everything, can you let someone else do something as well? There's so much that goes here. But we also need new bylaws focused on what it means to be a member. You cannot sit on the rolls. I pray we don't get to a day church where you can sit on the rolls for 15 years and still be considered a member of Tower View. Can you come to church anytime? Absolutely. But being a member is that you are faithful to follow the know, the grow, the share, and the serve to the best of your ability as God has you. And you may be sick. You may be those things. But, but live it out. And John Higgins, I thought of you. We need to completely overhaul our membership class. Not because it's bad. It's great. But there's so much more we could do to it to, to beef it up. We need to work on that as a church. Number seven, three more to go, church discipline. Church discipline. Thank you, Nelson, for the wording of this. I think it. No, this is Nelson's words here, and I think it's good. We need, we, do you know we have a church unity policy? Did you know that? That if, if Derek McMurtry punches me because Missouri beat his Oklahoma State, then there's a way to deal with that. We have that. It's actually from the Bible. We have that around. You, many of you all were part of that peacemakers group several years ago. That's kind of gone by the wayside. But we want to educate you on what it means to resolve conflict. Pettiness, go away. I said that like seven times. But do you see how much a little leak in a ship can cause the ship to go down? And if it gets to the point where there's unruliness within the church, we we go to them one-to-one, we go to them two-to-three, and we bring them before the church if necessary. If necessary, not because we want to be prideful, but we fulfill Christ's commands to clean the church of them and welcome them back if they so want to be restored. We need to teach on that more and educate. Number eight, discipleship. Nelson has been working on this all year behind the scenes and on and off, but exploring a formal discipleship plan for all levels and revisit the best format for discipling. Is it small groups? Is it Sunday school? What do we need to do but not pit them against each other? They're both equally valuable in the context that they can be valuable. How do we do that best? And lastly, this, biblical leadership, number nine. And I'll get these out to you over email, but we need to completely, can I, I, we need to, we need to, go like this with our bylaws and just go not because they're totally bad but because of what we know as a church. There's so much more we could put in our bylaws as a church to organize ourselves, to be more effective to be more efficient, to be more stewards of what God has given us and one of those areas is to call men in a plurality of pastors to serve on this church to lead us, to guide us, and to support the ministries of us as we are. Church, I am very excited about the future of Tower View. I hope you are as well. I know we're 47 minutes in and we're five minutes past. Amen, right? But I truly believe our best days are ahead. Darren, how's all this going to work? How are we going to pay? Look, we have conversations ahead, don't we? May we do so with grace. May we do those things. But let me tell you, and Nelson's going to bring this number. Trish Templeton, if you're still here, uh, we didn't get you on this, but we have 118 people who have served in our church in the last year alone, 118 people. Amen. That's amazing. You all are ready to kick it up and go after it and and do these things. And our church is in a good spot because our church is not trusting in what we can do, but in what Christ can do. And so, friends, I just want to admonish you, I want to encourage you, just want to exhort you as your pastor, thank you for being you. Thank you for serving how you serve. Thank you for loving how you love. Thank you for giving how you give. Well, you just say that because we pay your salary. No, not quite. You're very gracious to us as pastors, but thank you for giving because you give not because of budget or building, but because of Jesus Christ. What an awesome God we serve. Look, I'll probably be the worst pastor you ever have because I'm still young and growing and all those things. But if I'm the worst pastor you ever had, then you're probably the best congregation we've ever had because you've been so gracious to us, especially myself as pastor. We love you all. But we are headed a very certain direction, and it resolves around the gospel. Anything less than that is failure in the eyes, especially of the scriptures. Let's not get sidetracked. Let's not get sidebarred. There will be discussions that need to be had. We are focused on reaching people for Christ, growing people for Christ, loving people in Christ, and as we do that, God will be glorified. But Darren, what if no one comes to know Jesus? Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. He will bring the fruit in due season. Let's pray as we close.